My husband Mark and I are the Canvas Pastors. Everyone loves Mark. Are the Canvas Pastors at our Liverpool congregation. <laughs> um, so he's over there this morning leading worship. And as well as um, being the Canvas Pastors at Liverpool, I also get to lead our creative team across LifeGate Church, which is people that you see up on stage each week behind the sound desk. We've also got um, a media team and photographers and artists and all kinds of creative people that are a part of our team. And I guess one of my biggest passions is worship. So this morning, the title of my message is the why, who, and how of worship. The why, who, and how of worship. And before I start, I just need to um, give a little warning to those in the room who like a very structured and ordered sermon. This title will suggest that there's three clear points that we're going to move through. But as I was putting this together, I just sort of discovered that the why and the who are beautifully woven and intertwined with each other. So as we go on this little journey this morning, we're going to sort of weave in and out of the why and the who before we land at the how of worship. So is that okay? If it's not, I'm sorry because I've got nothing else. <laughs> let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for LifeGate Church and I thank you for all that you're doing both here and at Liverpool. And God, we just pray now that your spirit would come and open our hearts and our ears to what you want to say to us this morning. God, you are so good. And it's so lovely to be able to be in your presence with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start this morning by taking us to Luke 7. And um, in verse 36, we read about Jesus being invited to eat at the home of a Pharisee. His name's Simon. And he's, as he's reclining at the table of Simon's house, we then get to verse 37, and this is what we read. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner just want to stop there for a minute and before we go on I just wanted to think about this woman we're not told her name we're not told her story but she's given this label of sinner I don't know what her story is some other translations imply that she may have been a prostitute But really, the only description that we get of this unnamed woman is sinner. I want to stop here and tell you the story of another woman. And unlike this woman in Luke 7, I know her story. As a child, she fought with her sisters. This one day, it got so bad that she kicked her sister in the throat. It's okay, she's all right. She lived to tell the story. (laughs) She often screamed at her sisters to get out of her room and to stop taking her clothes. She was disrespectful to her parents 
One time she swore at her father because he was being annoying. Another time she took money from her mother's wallet so that she could buy an ice block at the school canteen. In her teenage years, she drank underage. She went to parties and she lied about it to her parents. As a young adult, she got mixed up in an unhealthy relationship. This one time she got really angry at him and she threw something at him. Thankfully, he's okay and he lived to tell the story. Luckily, this relationship ended and when she met the man who would become her husband, she didn't always treat him right either. She was disrespectful to him. She's gone to bed angry at him. She even one time threw something at him. I think she might have a little bit of a problem with throwing things. But he's okay as well. (laughs) She stretched the truth about being sick so she could have a sickie. She sped when she's been late for something. She's been envious over her friend's big, beautiful house. And she's let people down. If you haven't guessed already, this is my story. And I could spend the next 30 minutes telling you more parts of my story, but my point that I'm trying to make this morning is that hopefully you can connect parts of your story with parts of my story. You see, even though we don't know the story of this woman, she's given the label of sinner. And the fact is that we all have a rap sheet. We all have ways that we've fallen short of God's best for our lives. And regardless of how long or short that list might be or the severity that we view it to be, the label gives us all, the the, the Bible gives us all the same label, sinner. In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and have got this label of sinner. And then Romans 6.23, have I got the wrong one? Oh, sorry, wrong one. Wrong one, thankfully we're not filming this. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. And this death isn't just death from this life. It's an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. Now, maybe right about now you're thinking she's lost the plot. She's gone off script. She's gone a little bit crazy. She's sticking stickers on her head of sinner. I've said that I'm going to preach on worship. But in order for us to really get worship, we need to first understand where it is that we've come from, where it is we've come from. We need to understand the why and the who of worship. We need to get what we've been saved from. And if you've been around the church for a while, no no doubt you know these verses. You've memorized these verses. You've heard preachers preach on these verses. But I guess what I want to say this morning is may we never get too familiar with these verses. May we never gloss over them and not realize the reality of these two verses is so much worse 
than anything we could ever dream or imagine. But God, everyone say, but God, was not satisfied to leave us in our sin. Isn't that good news this morning? He didn't have this attitude of, well, you're all stuffed. I'm just going to be up here with the angels having a banquet and just leave you to yourselves. He came down. He got down on our level. He left the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of heaven and he moved into planet earth. And if you've memorized this scripture, then you know that there's no full stop at the end of death. You know that there is a beautiful comma followed by an equally beautiful but. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, at just the right time, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why we were still sinners, Christ died to save us. There's my other label this morning. See, when God looks at me, he doesn't see the label of sinner. He sees the label of saved. And maybe this morning you're thinking, yep, that scripture you just said, Romans 5, 6, 8. I know that one as well. Learned that one in Sunday school. But do we live like this? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do we live like this is the most extraordinary, most astonishing, most amazing, best news ever? If we're real with ourselves this morning, does that reflect the way we live? Like this is the best news ever. Because it literally changes everything. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess your mouth, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. So when God looks at us, he no longer sees sinner who deserves death. He sees one who has been saved. And this isn't anything that we've done. We've just read that we were powerless in our sin. But God... But wait, I've got even better news. Because although God looks at us as saved, he's also given us this whole new identity. Are you ready for this this morning, church? This is super exciting news. Can I get some smiles this morning? Because this is something to be really, really excited about. Are you ready for your new identity in Christ? This is what scripture says. He says, It says, I am a saint, I am loved, I am accepted, I am a child of God, I am a friend of Jesus, I am a joint heir with Jesus, I am redeemed and forgiven, I am free from condemnation, I am a new creation. 
I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I do not have a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. I am God's co-worker. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. I am chosen to bear fruit and I have direct access to God. That is who we are this morning, church. That is why we worship, because God has taken us from sinner to saved but more than that, he's given us a new identity. He's called us all of these things because of what Jesus has done. We've been given life in abundance. But wait, there's more. Are you ready for even more? I'm going to take these off. Because that's the us part. But there's an even greater why of worship, which is all wrapped up in the who of worship. Are you ready for it this morning? I started this morning by saying, by looking at Luke 7, 37, where we met this woman, this unnamed woman, who we're only known as sinner. But the second half of this verse says this, when she, the unnamed woman, only known as sinner, when she learnt that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. I wonder what her intentions were when she picked up that alabaster jar of perfume, of expensive perfume. Now, I don't have an alabaster jar. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I'm not tipping this out. <laughs> I don't have an alabaster jar, but I do have a bottle of expensive perfume. I wonder what her intentions were when she picked that up. She'd obviously heard about Jesus. She heard that Jesus was at one of her neighbor's house and so she grabs that jar. And I can imagine her probably not running but walking quickly because she doesn't want to break the jar. She doesn't want to trip and, you know, that would be disastrous. But I can imagine her walking quickly towards Simon's house. There is a deliberateness about her action. Someone somewhere has obviously either told her something about Jesus or maybe she's heard him preach before. And when she's heard that Jesus is in her neighbourhood, she intentionally grabs that alabaster jar of expensive perfume and she heads straight to where Jesus is. I wonder what she'd heard about him. Did she know? Did she know? that Jesus is the Almighty One, the Alpha and the Omega, the Bread of Life, the Beloved Son of God, the Good Shepherd, the Great High Priest, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, faithful, true, kind and loving. I wonder if she knew these things. Did she know that Jesus is the light of the world? the Messiah, a servant, our hope, our advocate, our redeemer, our saviour, our deliverer, our peace, our comforter, our friend? Did she know that he's creator overall, the way, the truth and the life, the word, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace? Did she know that he is God and that God is merciful our refuge, 
gracious, love, purposeful, righteous. He sustains us. He's our rock, our comforter, our fortress, our strength, our shield. He's unchanging. He is good. He is powerful. He's forgiving. He's patient and so worthy to be praised. I reckon that she probably didn't know all that about him because she didn't have a Bible. But she knew something. She knew something about Jesus and that something was enough to draw her to him. Now this list, it only just begins to give a picture of who Jesus is. But hopefully it begins to paint a picture for you of the even greater why of worship. That he is so lovely. He is so wonderful. He is so worthy and deserving of our worship. So in light of that, in light of all that, in light of the fact that we were saved, that we were sinners who have been saved, who have been given a new identity, in light of that is all who Jesus is. What's our response? Bible scholar N.T. Wright wrote that when we begin to glimpse the reality of God, the natural response, the normal natural response is to worship him. Not to have that reaction is a fairly sure sign that we haven't fully understood who he is and what he's done. And I say that again, to not respond with worship is a fairly good sign that we haven't yet got it. We haven't yet got who he is and what he's done for us. And again, this is where the the why and the who of worship are so beautifully intertwined. Because for us to fully understand what we've been set free from, what we've been saved from, we need to understand who he is. So with all of that in mind, I want to jump now to the third point of the how of worship. But as we go here, we need to keep what I've just said in the back of our minds because to get how we worship, we have to understand who he is and what he's done. Worship is so much more than what we've just done this morning. That was beautiful this morning. But worship is so much more than singing on a Sunday morning for 20-odd minutes. The Hebrew word for worship means to bow down in an act of reverence and surrender. And there's two Greek words for worship in the scriptures and one can be translated as to serve and the other is to kiss the hand towards the one in token of reverence. So again, this word of reverence. And that we, our English word for worship we get is rooted in the word worth. So putting all of these thoughts together, the Hebrew, the Greek, the English, to worship God means to acknowledge his worth, his value, and to express his worth through reverence or deep respect or a deep awe 
and honour of God through surrender and through service. And this isn't just a a one-off event. It's not like, well, I worshipped God that one time, I'm done. The scriptures say in Romans that this is a life. Worship is a lifestyle. And it's here that I'm going to split this message into two. Because while worship in the Bible is defined as a lifestyle, I'm not going to talk about that this morning, but I am going to talk about that on Tuesday night. If you're a part of our creative team, our creative team, then on Tuesday night we have our next creative team night. And there I'm going to share a bit more about the lifestyle of worship. But I just want to pause for a second and do a little sermon sidebar, if that's okay. If you're not part of the creative team, but you'd like to come along, you're so welcome to. Seven o'clock here on Tuesday night. We are not an exclusive club. We're just a group of people having a go at using the gifts and the talents that God has given us. And one of the first things that God did was he created. It says that God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on to say that we are made in his image. So I take that to say that we are all have a little bit of creativity in us. So if you want to come along and be a part of what we're doing, you are so welcome to come to our team nights. We meet once every eight weeks, this Tuesday, 7 o'clock. End of my sidebar, back to this morning. For the remainder of our time this morning, I want to talk about how we express our worship to God when we gather like this, when we gather like this together as the church. I love the church. I've been a part of this church for a number of years, and I love it when we gather week in, week week out like this, either on a Sunday or a Tuesday or a Friday night, whatever other times that we gather. There's something really, really special about those moments when we're all together. And I pray that we never take it for granted. I don't know if you realise, but in other parts of the world, they don't get to do this. We are so blessed that we can walk into this building in freedom, knowing that we're not going to be persecuted. No one's, no one's after us. They might not get us, but they're not after us. <laughs> so may we never take this lightly, that we get this opportunity to do this. When we come together, we bring our individual worship to a group setting. And together we worship God. We celebrate what he's doing. And there's an, a mutual encouragement and building up that takes place when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, when we give him our, our, our attention and together we choose to draw near to him. Our adoration and our honour and our praise is multiplied simply because there's more people joining in and we all worship Together, there is something so powerful about corporate worship as we draw near to him. God promises to draw near to us and inhabit the praises of his people. So really practically, the Bible gives us lots of examples of ways that we can express our worship, we can express our reverence, we can express our awe to God. And some of these ways that we can express our worship to God is through playing 
musical instruments as we are so lucky as a church to have incredible musicians who bless us week in, week out. But it's not just about them getting up there and playing a musical instrument. It's about them expressing their worship to God through their musical instrument. The Bible says that we can sing, which we've done so beautifully this morning. Some other practical ways is through service, through bowing down, dancing, lifting our hands, clapping our hands, and even shouting. These are all outward expressions of worship to God. Singing, dancing, clapping our hands, lifting our hands, shouting are all practical ways that together we as the church can express our awe, our adoration, our joy, etc. There are ways that we can express that God is worthy, that God is great, that God is good. But yet, I'm yet to find a scripture that reads that people express their worship to God by standing with their hands in their pockets, staring at words on a screen. I Please hear that in love. By no means do I want to upset anybody this morning. But in love, I want to stir the pot just a little bit. And if you're here this morning and you're new to faith or you haven't yet made a decision to follow God, then this little part isn't for you. But if you've been walking with God for a while and you've begun to understand who he is and what he's done, then I want to shake you just a little bit this morning. And maybe you're thinking, Sam, it's not about the outward expression, it's all about the heart. And I totally agree with you. It is. It is all about the heart. But why is it that we have no trouble yelling and screaming and waving our hands and shouting for our favourite sporting team? But when it comes to praising the God who's brought us out of death and into life, who has literally changed the world, we get a little bit quiet and a little bit stiff. Maybe it's that we haven't got a full revelation yet of who he is and what he's done. Maybe we need to go right back to who you are. Who are you, God? Who are you? What have you done? And as I said, while worship isn't all about the outward expression, I reckon that God really loves it when we do show our outward expression of praise for him. I reckon he really enjoys it. He enjoys when we open our mouths and we speak or we sing or we shout praise to him. He enjoys it. He enjoys it. And maybe you're thinking, well, I've had a really rough week. I don't really feel like being expressive in my worship this morning. Well, can I say that's right the point where you need to be? That's right the point where you need to open your mouth 
and you need to give God your praise because when you do, he breaks through and he brings breakthrough and, and the miracle is there. And when we all do that together, something special happens in this place as the spirit of God comes in a thick way because we're all looking to him, inviting him in, being expectant for him to move. And, you know, if God, if Jesus could stretch out his arms in an act of love for me, then I can stretch out mine in an act of love and surrender and worship to him. So now that we're maybe a little bit uncomfortable, let's jump back to the woman in Luke 7. After the woman arrives at Simon's house with this expensive jar of perfume, this is what she does. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened the alabaster jar and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. What an extravagant expression of worship from this nameless woman. Bowing at his feet. Can you picture it? Can you picture her bowing at his feet, cleaning his feet with her hair and her tears, anointing him with quite possibly the most expensive thing she owns. In doing so, expressing her love, her adoration, her reverence for Jesus. She wasn't concerned about what Simon or anyone else in the room might have been thinking as they were looking on. Her eyes and her heart were fixed on Jesus, giving him the worship that he deserves. Now, in contrast, we have Simon, who more or less just kind of turns his nose up at this woman and the response that she has to Jesus. And then this is what Jesus says to Simon. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She's doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. Both Simon and the nameless woman are in the presence of Jesus and yet they respond in two very different ways. And so my question for us this morning is who do we relate to the most when it comes to your expression and your attitude to worship? The woman or Simon the Pharisee? Who do we look more like this morning? Are we extravagant in our worship? Do we come to Jesus 
in an extravagant way, offering him love, adoration. Or are you over here like Simon, looking around going, what are you doing? Who do you think you are doing this? Because Simon didn't get it yet. Simon didn't get who was in his house, who this man Jesus was. It's my prayer that we would be a church of extravagant worship, extravagant worshippers who understand what we've been set free from, guys. We, we get it. We get what we've been saved from and we get who we are in Jesus and we get who he is and we're growing in an ever-increasing understanding of who God is. And it's my prayer that we would bring that on a Sunday morning, that we would be the first in church. Let's have a competition to see who can be the first in church, fill in the front rows, ready to engage in worship with a good God who we know is going to turn up and do something powerful in our midst because that is who he is. It's my prayer that that's the kind of church that we would be. And that when we gather like this, wherever we find ourselves gathered like this, that we would choose as an individual to extravagantly worship our good God. I'm going to invite the worship team up. But it's time to get real this morning, church. Where are you? Where are you at this morning? Do you need to get a greater revelation of who God is and what he's done? The why and the who of worship. As we make space to worship again, then ask for a revelation. Ask him to drop that into your spirit this morning of who you now are in Jesus and who he is. Spend time reflecting on his character and his nature. Google who is Jesus and you will get a list of all the the things that I wrote up on the screen or I can email them to you. Spend time reflecting on his character, his nature. Or are you looking, if you're real this morning, would you say that you're looking a little bit Simon-like and you need to get a little bit bold and extravagant in your worship this morning? to not be afraid of what the person next to you might be thinking, but to express your worship to God in a new way. I was talking to a friend about this last night and he said he's a, um, a Bulldog supporter and I'm a Rabbitohs supporter. And he said that, you know, as a Bulldog supporter, if he was at a game surrounded by Rabbitohs supporters, then maybe he might be a little bit quiet in his cheering because he's afraid of the Rabbitohs supporters. The good news this morning, church, is we're all on the same team. We're all going after the same God. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be fearful that someone's going to look at us and go, oh, she's a little bit weird. We don't need to care because we're all going after the same God. There are no Bulldog supporters in the room. Amen? (laughs) But before, (laughs) I've lost you. Sorry. Come back. Come back to me. But before we do that, before we spend some more time worshipping, 
if you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow this Jesus that I've been talking about, then I want to give you that opportunity. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, then you will be saved. And so like we do every week, we want to give you the opportunity to make that confession. So with every eye closed, let's pray this together. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died and that he rose again. And God, I'm sorry for living my life apart from you. Please forgive me. And today I choose to follow Jesus for all the days of my life. Amen. If you prayed that this morning for the first time, then we want to welcome you into the family. We want to help you get started. So please let someone know that you've come with or let one of the the leaders know. And we just want to encourage you in that decision. But right now, let's stand up. Let's shake it off a little bit. And let's spend a few minutes honoring, adoring, loving, extravagantly worshipping our good God.